Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of Star Brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives and doing incredible and amazing things. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Prevenex. Guys, you've heard me talk about Prevenex over and over again, especially about their Joint Health Plus supplement that helps me and so many other runners. We've even seen the reviews to back that up, which we already knew it in the first place, but it was nice to see those. Today, I want to talk about another supplement that I use of theirs. I use it every single day. It's their multivitamin. So many of us use multivitamins, not as the primary method of getting the nutrients that we need, but it's a great supplement to the foods that we're eating that are helping nourish our bodies. And that's why it's just such an important piece of every person's diet, and especially mine. Uh, my diet can be lacking. That's why that multivitamin is so important. So the one thing that I love about Prevenex is they don't compromise on the integrity of their ingredients, their testing, any element of the process, their research that they do. It's all above board. And that's why with every supplement product that you ever want to use, you want to make sure you have that. And Prevenex does. They use the highest quality stuff. And that's why it's so important. It's why I've been using it now for over nine months. I highly recommend it. And I'm sure that you will like it if you give it a try. So go to Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% at checkout. Also, 100% money back guarantee if you don't like it. You have nothing to lose. So today's episode is with Caitlin Landisberg. Caitlin is the CEO and founder of Sufferfest Beer Company. I couldn't wait to talk to her because not only do I love talking about the business of sports, as you know from my podcast, The Business and Sports Discourse, but she created a product that is very niche marketed to the endurance community, and they've brought it a little bit since, since their founding. But I couldn't wait to talk to her about the community in you know in and of itself right why do you want to why would you want to market to that community how do you ingratiate yourself within that community what her place in that community is as an ultra runner and how she found her way to it from a tennis background uh it's i couldn't wait to talk to caitlin she is just a fascinating person if you want to get more information on the background of sufferfest this probably isn't the podcast. She's been on a number of podcasts before. In this podcast, we really wanted to have just a deep dive conversation, not really an, uh, an interview per se, but a conversation about the things that I just mentioned. And she is such a fascinating and intelligent and insightful person that I just had so much fun talking to her about all this stuff. And we also talked about her running as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Caitlin Landisberg. Hello, Caitlin, and welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure getting someone uh, of your stature in terms of <laughs> your like professional life. It's just it's so great to have you on. Not only are you an ultra runner and you're just you're an extremely athletic person, basically for like your entire life <laughs> in, in one form <laughs> or another. But seeing what you've done uh, in a professional corporate environment as well, it really is exciting to have you on because like so many of our listeners who are, you know, while they're dedicated amateur runners, that's for sure. They also have many other areas of their life that they're trying to, you know, kick butt in or sometimes just survive in. And you're, you've lived that on a lot of different levels. That's for sure. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I would also call myself an amateur runner, but I would probably say I'm just a passionate runner. I'm not a pro. I'm not looking to, to podium or anything. I just, love it and it, it's so cathartic for me so i totally resonate with with this community 
Yeah, and I know that you've been again active your whole life, which is really you know, which is really cool. I know for you the the first the first allure was tennis. And was that was that a byproduct of of, of your dad's influence? I guess. Well, I, I yeah, I guess I stumbled into it. Um, uh, my mom's my mom's best friend growing up, her husband was the Stanford women's tennis coach, and so on the side, um, you know, I would. Um, ball girl and make some money, you know, picking up balls for his son that was coaching down the street and they ended up being our neighbors. And I just sort of spent a lot of time on the court and, um, that family sort of took me in and, and was able to coach me from a young age. And, uh, uh, we sort of became a tennis family because we were so close with that family. And, um, that was certainly my first passion. And my, my dad always sort of had this motto growing up that a family that sweats together stays together. So, uh, we were always playing tennis and tournaments and uh, my brother was in tennis too. And so that was definitely my first athletic passion and um, played it in college and, and, and uh, loved that it was a team sport in college for the first time. So that was pretty cool too. Yeah. So as a fellow division three athlete, what was that like for you uh, participating uh, in a varsity sport while also trying to do, you know, the student athlete stuff? So basically you're trying to make sure your academics are in order doing the athletic side, but as, as, you know, as D3 athletes know, like you got to be in it for the passion because you're not going to be in it for the fans. There, there aren't any. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's boyfriends, girlfriends, and parents are pretty much the only people watching. Totally. The, the, yeah. The sponsorship dollars were not flowing in right for our, <laughs> for our endeavors, but um, absolutely for the passion, but you could probably really, I don't know if you had the same experience, but like sports gave me so much structure in my days that whenever um, there was an off season, I felt like my academics actually slipped. I didn't have as much focus. I wasn't as happy. And so being a, um, a student athlete, I think was probably the best, best thing for me because I, I, I must not be able to sit still very long and focus. I, I have to be jam packed. My dance card always has to be full. I have to be overflowing with activities to probably make deadline, I think. Um, and it's true to this day. So, um, you know, waking up in the morning for weight training, going to class, coming back, um, going out for either endurance or, 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 um, tennis practice itself. And then the weekends and nights, um, you know, at tournaments, um, being able to structure my day was, gave me a lot of calm and peace, actually. Um, so I love being a student athlete. It made me a better student. Yeah, it's funny because like basically the, the student athlete schedule is like like the definition of a gas. Like it basically fills whatever yeah. structure you put it in. So if, like if there right. is no structure in the off season, it's just moving everywhere. And if you have a ton of structure, either in the in the normal season or you know, especially for a spring and fall sport, you have the non traditional seasons and then the traditional season, um, which can be a little bit more extensive. And all of a sudden, like things start to come into focus. I don't know if it was like for you, but for me, when I was out of season, it was this idea of like I have all the time in the world, and then like. <laughs> You know, like the procrastinator, procrastinator's dilemma is like when you finally sit down and buckle in, you're like, uh oh, I got way too much stuff to get done in this little amount of time because all of a sudden I was like behind the eight ball. Right. Totally. No, I can totally relate to that. And what um, what sport were you playing? So I played college basketball at Vassar College, wow. which is in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. All right. So, so you grew up, you know, in the Stanford area, like you said, and I heard you on another podcast say that you were kind of like a Silicon Valley brat, so to speak. And, you know, while you are the founder and CEO of Sufferfest, kind of like your athletic career, 
you know, you, while you might have started off in tennis and then migrated over to running, you know, you you didn't exactly start in the the craft brewery restaurant space, no. you know, at <laughs> all. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about how and why you made some of your early career choices and what not only, you know, fueled them in terms of your own passions, but what goals you may have had as you were pursuing them. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. That's a great question. And I, I think one of the reasons why I sort of phrase it by being sort of that Silicon Valley brat is that because I think that that world for me and was sort of exploding as I was graduating college and in this sort of consumer tech quantified self world. Um, and as, as, as I was looking for a job and thinking about, you know, what was next out there for me, um, um, I was um, obviously drawn to home, which is one of the reasons why I went to school in the Midwest. I love the state of California where I was born and raised. And I, I knew I, I had a, an inkling that I would be back. And so as I was sort of looking for my next or my, my, my first career, my first job out of college, I was certainly drawn to coming home. Um, and, and given that all these tech startups were really coming into their own, Facebook had just launched and uh, you know, all these new sort of social media um, spinoffs, if you will, were were just underway, and it was so exciting in the valley. Um, you know, I, I probably maybe did myself a disservice um, without sort of stepping back and really thinking about how like passions align with with my skill set and what really is out there. But there was just a wealth of of hiring and um, and excitement around um, getting into technology. And my, my first job actually out of college was with Adobe Systems. Um, and I was just an English major um, who actually had aspirations to write, the, you know, the great American novel and, um, and be a, you know, a muckraker journalist and really be on that creative writing side. But of course, um, you know, I, I wanted some money. <laughs> I wanted my first paycheck out of college. And um, the places that were hiring and, and hiring young people um, were some of those tech companies. So I went into Adobe Systems, obviously with a, a passion for creative writing, and ended up um, in the communications field um, within technology. And so uh, my my career, I've always had that single thread of creative writing. Um, I I love it. It's something that I gravitate towards still today. Um, um, all the communications, all the email newsletters, all the blogs from all of my businesses, I, 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 I write them day and night, homegrown. Um, and it's still something that I, I do and, and really enjoy, but it translated into technology. And I, I, I still say Silicon Valley brat because I, I did stay on the tech side. And so it was really interesting. Now I really feel like I'm on the other side and a, and a bit of a fish out of water being in CPG and, and certainly, um, beer and brewing beer in that physical um, CPG business now in this landscape when um, ones and zeros um, and the things that you cannot see and feel are all around us right now in, in this in this Bay Area landscape yet um, somehow I wound up um, on the other side in a very um, very rewarding place but very um, tangibly rewarding at that um, in the beer world. So what was the job scene like in Silicon Valley at that time? Because, you know, setting the stage uh, a handful of years earlier, the tech bubble bursts, right? 
You know, so many, right. so many companies, you know, either plunge and go out of business, uh, a bunch of others barely, barely hung on and maybe were acquired. But a lot of the shine was off the Apple uh, for a few years there. And then you coming in around 2005 ish. What did it look like in terms of hiring, but also just the optimism uh, surrounding the movement over there? Yeah, um, recall here. I mean, it was really exciting. It was really optimistic, um, you know. Um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Yammer, um, all these these homegrown and, and now of course failed startups were all were all getting um, financing and getting backed for the first time and um, uh, people were taking risks left and right on young hungry people like myself and so I think just the um, immediate just support and sort of confidence booster that someone is seeing me met, not for my experience, but the fact that I'm going to stay the latest, I'm going to show up the earliest, I'm going to work and go up the corporate ranks was certainly there and, and something that I, um, I really, um, you know, worked, worked hard to achieve. Um, and, um, you know, gosh, interestingly enough, like when I started fundraising for Sufferfest, I, you know, I, I put in my, some of my own nest egg to just trying to get this thing up and running. But of course, as it was, was taking off, it required a lot more capital that I just didn't have. And when I decided to ask, you know, my, my friends, if they would be willing to invest, it was actually the same friends that I graduated with who ended up taking entry-level positions at Facebook who are now, you know, never have to work in their lives again. So it's quite a wild time. And so despite, you know, obviously the bubble bursting and there being a lot of ebbs and flows in Silicon Valley, um, it's also a place where if you are at the right place at the right time, um, you can change your life forever, certainly. Um, And I don't take that for granted. And I don't think any of the people in, in my network do. It's just one of those very absurd situations that can happen. And, and certainly, and that was definitely the excitement that everyone felt that this could be my shot. Um, but also understood that like, 26 out of 27 of these startups do fail. And I was part of um, a couple of failed startups, you know, um, and I have really good war stories and relationships and scar tissue, but they've made me better. Um, and they were all part of my journey to get to where I am now. So uh, it's really what has made me a builder. I love working at the ground level and being scrappy. And I think it comes from just like, there's just opportunity. And if you think it and you build it, um, you know, I, you really do kind of get injected with that optimism here in ways that I just have never felt before anywhere else. So you've worked in two areas that a lot of people would view as kind of like dream job scenarios, right? So you're a director of marketing at Strava. If someone's into endurance athletics, you know, working in a place like that would be ideal, right? Because you can really kind of meld your profession with your passion. Uh, now, here we here you are, you know, CEO and founder of Sufferfest, while a completely different genre of company. It you know, again, for a lot of people, like, wow, like that would be an achievement of a lifetime. And you've, you've reached, you know, to both of these kind of in back-to-back uh, professions and back-to-back employments. However, I'd love to talk to you about just the, the stage to get there, because oftentimes, I know this is so far afield of running, but I think it applies to everyone who's listening and also is tangentially to related to reaching running goals and things like that is, I know in my own career, like now I'm a professional podcaster. Like when I graduated college in 2003, I hadn't even heard what a podcast was. Like th- that yeah, was not right. even a word that I'd ever heard in my life at that point. Um, and then I went into a variety of different jobs, none of them even in the communications industry. 
And then by sheer dumb luck and confluence of events, and then ultimately a lot of hard work, like here I am. But it was never, you know, I ended up receiving a lot of skills in a variety of different jobs that I can now point to and say, hey, that job gave me this, that job gave me that, and this job gave me this other skill. But in, in real time during those jobs, I would have never been able to put that together. Right, when you look right. back at the, at the careers that you've had and the skills that you've fostered, cultivated, and or accrued, what are some of the things that you look back on and say, all right, that skill over here allows me to do this in my current role and, and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you really do pick it up from every place. You don't know it at the time, certainly. I mean, even my management style and how I hire people and how I treat people in the business um, and in the office setting. Like I've had really bad bosses. And in fact, they've taught me about what I want in a boss. And then hopefully I'm a much better leader and manager for that. And, you know, you're disgruntled and angry at them at the time. But in fact, they're teaching you some really valuable lessons um, that you could probably thank them later for anyhow. Um, so everything, you know, is a, is, is a collection, in my opinion. And I would say maybe the larger threads, um, that I didn't realize at the time was community building, mobilizing people, um, you know, to, to come start at zero with very little awareness. Um, and, and, and uh, many of my roles, whether it be at some failed startups that you've never heard of to Strava, I mean, those were really early days for all those businesses. And it was up to me to get people to believe, to believe that there was a reason to spend time with this business or proposition or brand or a reason to spend money with a brand. Um, and so mobilizing communities and building trust, building loyalty um, and those programs around what it could take both virtually and physically um, are certainly the underlying thread that I think I've carried in every position that I think I've done that because I've just, just enjoyed it. It's just, I think that people and being around people energize me and fuel me. And um, lo and behold, I think I've become good at it. Um, and it's, it's probably, it's, it's like, it's a hard and interesting exercise to say what you're good at and really believe it. And um, getting people to believe, whether it's to fundraise, like to raise money for my business, um, or getting some, them to believe that they should choose my, my beer over another beer or um, download this app versus another one. Um, I think really, um, demands just a, a genuine um, belief in that product um, and that support. And I was lucky enough, I think, to sort of choose things that I'm genuinely passionate about. So there was never marketing or selling necessarily that I had to hone. It was just like, be real with people about what you love and, and hopefully they, you know, they come along. Um, and, and so that would, I would say is sort of the biggest component is sort of building community that I, I've carried along along the way that have really translated from to even just taking my last two businesses, well, my current one, my last one, you know, Strava being this total virtual world and beer and, and Supperfest, you know, things that are, are wildly different in so many ways. I've obviously overlap in terms of what we do to enjoy and celebrate all of our achievements and accomplishments. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, building community looks almost identical, whether I'm, I'm trying to, to uh, market a, a, a virtual app or market a very physical, um, tasty product. And what 
I shouldn't say what. How has your uh, goal setting uh, changed? Not not just the goals themselves, but the process by which you do set goals and you know long term versus short term, and you know are they smart goals? Are they more holistic? How has that evolved over the last ten years? Oh yeah, it's, it's that's a that is an exercise. I actually just decided a couple of weeks ago that I would do a ten year vision, um, and it's just. I'm going to sit down and write a letter to myself as if I'm, you know, 47 years old, 10 years from now and, and, and just envision my life um, and envision what I've done envision what I want. And that's a completely different exercise than what I would have done five years ago. And I think it just, it totally correlates and resonates, you know, correlates with what's going on in your life right now and where you are in your life. And I think probably five years ago, if I were to do this, it would have been way shorter term, like, you know, I really want a boyfriend, or it'd be cool to have a kid, or it'd be great to get a, a better paying job, you know, it just depends on, on, I think, what your immediate outlook is. And obviously, you know, as a, as a parent, and you're a parent now, and, and as well, and um, uh, I think, as soon as you kind of cross that threshold, goals become, you become sort of absent, right? I, at least for me, um, all of a sudden, it's, it's, a, a, almost a primal reaction to what's going on in the world and, and what you want um, the minute you have children. But my goal is now start thinking about what I can do for, you know, my daughter 20 years from now, my son 30 years from now, what do I want them to, to remember me as? And what would I want them to be, be, I want them to be proud and what would that look like? And so I think those goals made me look and think about the business as being bigger than, than beer if we're looking at Sufferfest. And, and that, I think being a new parent was the, the impetus for becoming a B Corp certified business. It was, it was me looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I'm, I've now somehow decided to be in this like very water intensive single use consumable business. And I have two children who I know are going to look me in the eye and go, what, what the hell mom, like, you know, you know, better than this and they'd be teaching me. So how can I get in front of that? And, and so I think those goals around, okay, Sufferfest is going to be a B Corp and by 2017 and um, by 2018, we're going to be able to give, you know, this many dollars to causes and, and, and social justice causes and environmental causes that we care about. Um, and so, yes, I think as my life evolves, um, my, my whole goal is that my, my, my goal about my goals is that they become bigger than, than I can even imagine and that it, they feel uncomfortable. And so this 10 year vision that I recently did was really, uncomfortable and exciting for me to say, you know, I'm going to just put this out into the universe. And this is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want to have achieved. And, and sure, plans change, but you can at least start making some drafts, in, in my opinion, and the drafts will change and, and you'll keep writing. Um, but I, I think they're a really interesting exercise, because I do believe in, in putting something out into the universe and saying things out loud and, and holding yourself accountable. And how do you balance that goal setting mechanism? And thank you for sharing all of that because that was really useful yeah. how it's kind of evolved. And you know, how do you how do you take that goal setting mechanism and where you are now and then kind of juxtapose it with kind of your own professional growth? Like you look at Sufferfest, like you know, we you know, shoot, if people want to know more about Sufferfest, you know, you've been on like ten thousand podcasts, they're all fantastic. Mm -hmm. You're fantastic. You've done you've you've taken deep dives into the founding of this. But basically it 
came about like a complete hobby, going out on a lark, trying something randomly, you know, from your boyfriend at the time who just bought you like, here's a beer brewing kit, you know, and then like you kind of like fanning the flames of like a curiosity and then building and building and building it. So when you have this goal setting mechanism and you have these, these, you know, long-term goals, and even if they're holistic as opposed to like firm, like, all right, I will make X amount of dollars or what have you. How do you take that and say, but at the same time, I want to keep what's true about what's put me to this point already in terms of being curious and exploring things for exploration's sake, not necessarily for results sake and things like that. Gosh, I don't, I think it's, I don't, I don't think I do anything um, necessarily um, as a method. I think it might just be the way that I'm designed. You know, I, um, so I'm, I'm listening, you know, when I run, I, I try to listen to podcasts and, and audiobooks and I'm reading, I'm listening to to shoe dog right now and Phil Knight's journey creating Nike. And, um, you know, he, he, I listened to a line just yesterday that really resonated with me. And it's just as simple as, you know, I, I think there's that exhilarating feeling that we feel when we're running. Um, and, and we can call it whatever we want, our runner's high. But I think it's, for me, it's the fear. Uh, you know, I think I'm just afraid to stop, right? Um, I think running and just going one mile after the other is because I'm afraid to stop. Um, and um, that really struck me, um, at least in terms of how I'm designed and my discomfort with with slowing down a pace and um, staying, you know, content in sort of the the place that I am in now. And I think that's unique to me. I think I'm sure lots of people uh, would probably relate to that, but it's it's probably part of my DNA to feel discomfort with. Um, with contentment. Um, and maybe it's an American thing or a capitalist thing. I'm not sure, but, um, I think, I think it's not necessarily curiosity. I hope it becomes curiosity one day, but I think it's fear for me that this isn't, this isn't it. You know, I, I hope that I have multiple chapters. And so, um, you know, right now, for example, Sufferfest keeps me still very curious and very engaged and it's so high stakes. Um, but I'm I'm experimenting with new concoctions and ways to communicate and, and deliver to people, you know, a, a, a substance that's very hard to deliver across state lines during an epidemic, a pandemic, rather. Um, and it's it's very challenging intellectually, um, and and so it, it fuels me. But it also every time I'm presented with a challenge, it's like, okay, is there is there a solve out there, or is this would require a new solve or a new angle. I think I'm, my, my, my brain is always just sort of thinking along the lines of like the next chapter and the next thing. So I don't have a, to answer it. And I hope not, I hope I'm answering your question. At least I'm trying as well as I can, but I think to me, it's not anything that I think about consciously. I think generally um, I'm, 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 I'm very fearful of, of saying, this is it. I'm going to be okay with this. And this, I'm going to, you know, stop here. And so I think it just provokes me um, and incites in me just this level of always talking with friends. I hear a good idea and I want in and I want to try and problem solve. And I just, I think it's just the way that my brain like fires its synapses and lights up and gives me personal fulfillment. 
So is it a fear of failure or more of a fear of mediocrity and complacency? The latter. I think I don't mind failing. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of failing. I we have kind of a joke at 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 Sufferfest, right? Well, we fail forward all the time and I don't I'm 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 just in so many ways I get I get my wrist slapped now. Um because I'm, I, I sort of go and then I ask for forgiveness later because it's, it's sometimes, and sometimes I even know going out the door that this isn't going to be pretty, but I, I love speed over perfection. I believe that that's the way to test and trial and, and get feedback. And, and, um, I think complacency, um, um, yeah, it's very scary to me. And I think I've just learned that growing up from my mom and well, mostly my dad, but my, both my parents continue to reinvent themselves even in their seventies. And I just, um, I look at them and I, I see the fear in their eyes about, you know, retirement and what that might mean for them. And so they just create a new career and create a new hobby. And I just, I think it's a learned behavior. <laughs> So more of an internal an internal driver of that of that fear as opposed to externally driven. I think so. Yes, I I, I believe so. Um, and and I yeah, I would agree with that. So let's talk about running because you got okay. into it. You again, you you were super athletic, and then you get into running. Um, what about running specifically? Where you were running? you know, in the, the San Francisco Bay Area really hooked you or, or I guess I shouldn't say that hooked you from the beginning because I don't really know, but at what point did it hook you and why do you think it did? It hooked me from the day that I went on my very first run uh, with the Endurables, this ultra run club that I joined as a guest one Saturday morning with a friend. I didn't, I couldn't afford court time and I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to factor in tennis because it was such a time and money intensive sport to continue after college. And my friend Eric just picked me up one Saturday morning and said, all you need to do is invest in some good shoes and just come out here. And it was like the hardest thing that I had ever done. It was my first run. I can't believe I even like hung with them as long as I did. And I think they kept breaking for me. And, but the community and that, that morning, I remember coming home to my roommate and not even having the words to tell him, like, you wouldn't believe what I just did because I couldn't describe it. It was just like the pain and the anguish coupled with just like the amazing camaraderie and the fact that you're pretty much in therapy <laughs> out there with these people that you don't know. And by the end of, you know, your first 12 miles, I feel like I could be, uh, have known them for years and years and what you're willing to share and learn from people and the, the past that, I mean, I think it really takes some unique backgrounds to, to get into and gravitate and enjoy endurance running. I just sort of, I sort of found my people in, in many ways. And I found my environment, that landscape. I just, the ability to meander and see that, that, that landscape, um, and feel that pain and that combination just struck a chord with me. And so, um, that first run, I came home and said, I can't wait to get back out there. And I think a week later was the, the double dipsy. I signed up for it, or I got a bib at the last minute from somebody. I did the double dipsy. It's now my very favorite race. Oh my gosh. Um, Caitlin, and, you're an animal. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, well, it's just, and I actually, we just moved. Um, and we, we just got a, a house right at the base of the Dipsy Steps. And it's just, it's my happy place. It's, I just, I can't, I can't um, quite, 
quite describe the the relief and the respite uh, running does to me. But something about being on the trails with the, the people around me is, is yeah, it, it hooked me from minute one. To answer your question, it's a very long answer, but I, I romanticize about that day. And why wouldn't you? You know, it's certainly, you know, been um, a par- on some level, maybe maybe a paradigm shifting moment is too dramatic, but certainly <laughs> had an effect. Um, now, looking back, how would you compare your energy level to your friends and peers kind of growing up and earlier on in your life? Uh, it's never, <laughs> it's funny. It's never been anything that I have ever been aware of or acknowledged any difference that you would you would see me and you would I'm a pretty standard normal person but as I have aged um I consider myself a highly highly efficient person and I'm sure everyone is efficient in different ways um but um I have grown a skill for multitasking um that um, even sometimes impresses myself. And maybe that's a parent thing too. You know, I think you get better at that too, but um, um, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, but I certainly think that my energy level now um, is, is, I don't know where it comes from, but I have a lot of it and I'm, um, I don't require a lot of sleep. I, I just, um, I just am always thinking and I'm always up doing stuff. And again, I don't like sitting still. <laughs> so yeah, it, it comes across. <laughs> <laughs> it comes across. That's why I asked. And, and I, I say this on the podcast all the time. So my, my consistent listeners are like, Oh God, he's going to say it again. But I feel like that ability, like that, that, and I think it's hardwired into people. Like people are just the, those folks who just don't need sleep. They are just constantly energetic. They can't sit still. They always have to get things done. Like, I think that is more born than made. And I think when it comes to running, that that is a talent that's on par with even the most, you know, you know, anatomically um, desired talents out there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't, I, I, um, I, I hope I don't take it for granted. I, I do, um, I do like a full dance card. That's for sure. And I don't, I mean, it's, but it's, it's, it's something that I, I actually think it, it, I, um, I can see it as a strength, but I, I have been investigating that a lot, especially with this pandemic and how our lives have changed that I've been seeing it as actually a, something to improve because it's very hard for me to sit and to be and to be present. Um, and I'm always deferring to the next thing. Like I, you know, I, I just have to hurry up and wait. Um, I think I struggle with, with, um, I think the beauty that is now, um, and that there's so much, there's so much to take in right now. And there's so much to enjoy and to, um, to exercise around that gratitude of, of now and presence. And I struggle with that, um, in, 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 um, daily. Um, but it's something that I, I really wish I could be doing because I'm always thinking about what's next, in my opinion, to a fault. So. I don't know. You know, every, you win some, you lose some, I guess. But um, it's definitely timely because I've been thinking a lot about that and, and how we're all the, the discomfort that I have right now with, with just sitting and, and being present is, is difficult. So let's talk about community because you emphasize community a lot 
in um, your your corporate communications around Sufferfest and even what you say anecdotally about the company and its mission and how you see it relating to its customer base. And, you know, when you talked about, you know, your first run, you 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 went there right away as well, like the people in, ingrained in the community and you felt this connection and, and all of that. So how important is community for you in your athletic and corporate life. And I say this in light of where running is is very similar to tennis in terms of it can be a team sport, but at its core, but at its core it's an individualistic sport, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. you can be part of a team, but your effort, I don't know your effort, but your results ultimately come down to you and almost you alone besides maybe that 1% of a boost you can get from a teammate and things like that. And obviously I'm talking about single right. tennis, not doubles tennis right here. But um, right. I think oftentimes like those two sports can be very similar in that team versus individualistic dynamic. So how does community play a, lot, play a role in your life athletically and professionally and within what you're trying to cultivate in both? Yeah, um, I really love this question and um because i thought i have thought you know the tennis and and running are very similar in that sense i mean it really is a a individual sport that you can design based on the scenario to a team sport like if you are are, are accruing and, and, and there's moments where it, it really does take a team but generally speaking to echo what you've said it, it you are you are there and you are you are pushing yourself and you are accountable to yourself and it's, it's your mind and 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 there's um there's a lot of of i think the mental game is probably the toughest part about both sports in my opinion um and i love that part i love trying to figure out how to calm my mind and how to find those mantras and find those moments to relax and to meditate in order to you know have a second serve go in on a very high pressure point or to be able to think about um, getting to that next aid station or finding that runner in front of me and slowing down my breathing and getting to that place where it becomes a meditation. And so I, I, I do think about that often about how my brain works very similarly. And it's been able to translate that from tennis to, to running in that way very seamlessly, which has been, I think, an advantage for me and why I've gravitated to long distance running. Um, community though, it's, it's interesting because I'm not, you know, I, I get a lot of energy from mobilizing people, um, and getting communities together, but I I actually don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't call myself, um, I really do find the most respite and energizing part of, of, of running is when I'm solo and in my own thoughts. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting um, combination that I feel. Um, but I, I think the community that I, I love and adore so much is because it's this sort of shared experience. It's this unknown, unsp- not unknown, it's unspoken. It's certainly known and felt, but it's probably indescribable for people, but we feel it. Um, I just think that when you're out there with, with fellow runners at any shape or form or focus or level of seriousness, there's there's a reason they're out there and there's a level I think of of therapy and and um ex- exploration um that I think we're all bound by and 
I think it's that shared experience of like just people next to me and behind me in front of me as we pass each other, as we talk, we just sort of get it. And we don't have to say what, 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 what's sort of on our mind, what we're thinking, the pain that we're feeling, the physical and the mental. I think what brings us there, uh, we all have different reasons, but in so many ways it is for, it is for some relief um, from a world that might be intolerable. Um, it is for some cathartic moment um, that you're searching for. And so I, I do, I see it as a lot of healing and people are out there healing. And I think that's why the community is so important to me in, in running. I just believe it. And I don't know if it's true, but it's what I believe that people are out there together um, sharing something that's just unspoken. Um, and, and uh I mean, you've, you've probably met a lot of people too. I mean, there's, there's some pretty amazing backgrounds that gravitate to, to the sport. Um, and a lot of tribulation and turmoil and people really, really struggling, um, and finding relief and running. And I think, uh, I believe that that's just a, a very common thread. And, and I think our, our hearts and our chests are kind of opened and we're very vulnerable out there. So I like that part. I think there's a lot of romance and a lot of, uh, shared experience out there. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. And if, and if people weren't a hundred percent positive about that fact four months ago, they certainly are now because so many of us, uh, whether we knew it or not really miss that social connection that we certainly aren't getting, um, especially in the, in the, in the athletic world now at this point. Right. Yeah. It's amazing to see everyone starting to, to, put on a pair of shoes for the first time and, and give it a try and sort of see what, see what's working for people. But I think, you know, I've always said, I've never been able to, I've never not been able to solve a problem uh, by going on a run. Whenever I have a tough time, a tough day, a a struggle, anything, a problem I have to solve. I just, my, my body works that way. So I hope that people are really finding all over the world, a, a new sense of, of, um, problem solving and release through moving their feet a little faster. <laughs> so one thing that you've done with Sufferfest and that, you know, I think a lot of companies strive for and sometimes they're not able to do successfully is successfully finding a niche environment that's specific, but not too limiting. And it seems like you really have been able to do that with Sufferfest within the endurance community, uh, especially with ultra running and, and running in general. And I know it's broader than that, but I think you've really, you know, have found a niche there. So what are some of the characteristics you look for when you're trying to partner either with a race or with a specific athlete that you think would be a good ambassador for your brand and that you want to kind of be someone who you know, you know, through that person, you identify what your company is all about. Yeah, uh, great. Um, I like that question a lot. I rethink a lot about the sort of holistic package um, uh, versus the stats or what something is on paper. So I appreciate this question a lot. Um, We've been fortunate enough to work with awesome events and races and terrific people. and um, certainly on the athlete sponsorship side and sort of the team and the, and the individuals that we've worked with, um, we are less, <laughs> I think, you know, the, the accolades and the podiums and the medals are, are certainly something that are exciting to us. And, you know, we're all sort of fanboys and fangirls at certain levels. But generally speaking, 
you know, the people that have come our direction, we've, we've found them, they found us, somehow we find each other, we meet in the middle. And I think that's what is, what's been so important about this brand is that, um, and about Summerfest, it was a happy accident. It still is a happy accident. This isn't something I, I tried to put together, you know, in a, in a business school class. It was just me and my friends, you know, at different races on the weekends going, we want better beer. And, and I'm going to get my, my girlfriend something they can just like think is delicious. And, um, they're going to tell their friends and we're going to all going to have, you know, tailgates all the time and it's going to be rad. And it's just always been just very, very authentic. And the people that participate in Sufferfest events and drink our beer, um, and that we work with generally come find us and we come find them because we just love the scene. We love the environment. And so, you know, our athletes have been authors, they've been environmentalists, um, they've been going through their own physical and personal struggles and demons. And we've been helping them through that. And it's, it's really been less about the racing. Like we don't care about the results. We're all about the journey, which is like why the, the beer company is called Suffer Fest in the first place. I couldn't, it was always a working title because I never thought that I would name a company called Suffer Fest. But as we were going through just the heartache and the difficulty of, putting a business together it was like there's nothing more perfect than that name because it's it is all about the struggle and that's how you meet the great people and you find the greatest events and so um we're as a b corp you know we're looking for that we're we're looking for for um events and people that we can really get behind um that are are you know wanting to work with us because they have a, a cause that's bigger than beer and they want to raise awareness or um, you know, they're a, a leave no trace brand and we're really going to try and do a, an event differently and show people that it can be done. Um, and so we're always looking for an angle that says, you know, we want to push the envelope and, and if there's anyone that can do this, it's, it's runners because we, we have that extra fuel tank to, to get something done and, and do it the right way. So, um, I don't know. It's really been able, I've been able to, to cross paths and work with really, really terrific people. Um, who uh, again when i think of them they're they're not i not i'm not thinking about their their uh their race schedule as much as i am about the, their passions and i'm 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 happy that i'm thinking about it that way and I'm, I'm um i'm grateful for that and same with our events we've we've just been able to just find people who genuinely genuinely really want to um i don't know uh introduce a, a different a different way of thinking i think and we've always wanted to try and change you know, what, what role beer can play in, in the hearts and minds of, of, of people that, that, you know, aspire to, to live healthy, active lives. And, and I don't think it has to be about being over served and, and losing control and, or and it doesn't even have to be about total craft beer taste and having to be an aficionado to enjoy it. It's, it's really about celebration. And that's like the, the thing that we're all about is, um, you know, it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be a terrible struggle. You're going to hate life. And we're going to be there right, right when you need us most. We've got your back and we're going to celebrate. And, and so I think that single thread of celebration has paired us with the right, right brands and right people that totally get that. So we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and that's why it's like everyone's, everyone's been awesome to work with. And, and how could it not be when you're working with runners and beer? Like, it's very hard to run into people and brands that you have a hard time, a hard time with. It's just, it's been great. 
Well, you picked a name that was perfect for the niche that you're in because, you know, it's funny, like you hear the word Sufferfest and in a vacuum, you're like, well, that's not really a joy inducing word. You keep talking about <laughs> celebration and, you, and this sounds more torturous than anything else. However, in the space where you're working, that word like brings like a smirk to people's face. Because they're like, yeah, man, I know what that means. You know what I mean? And usually that's like the penultimate moment before the celebration. And I can see how that would be, you know, basically just so perfectly named. I mean, as someone who, who whose name of their podcast, I think, goes well with alliteration, not well with basically any other aspect of the naming process. I'm certainly jealous. Um, with that said, the craft beer space over the last two decades has, you know, really transformed. So mm -hmm. what... What do you and your team have to do to ensure that Sufferfest isn't, you know, doesn't doesn't become a commodity and isn't commoditized, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that you know can so easily happen, even if someone has the best of intentions or a company has the best of intentions, things like that can just happen through inertia and maybe even some bad luck. So how do you go about ensuring that that sort of thing doesn't happen? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I think you know. We had no business um, being in the craft beer scene. We were, I was told that multiple times, you're crazy. Um, there's no reason why you belong here. And that was exactly why we succeeded was because, again, it was, it was a, a need and, and something that I needed. And, and turns out a lot of people like me needed. And I think we really turned heads when, you know, I came back and walked through a grocery store in my um, running shoes and shorts and my hair up after a run with my samples and, and sat down in the back with a buyer and didn't leave until he tasted this or she tasted this and um, did my pitch. And I think people were just really um, shocked and surprised Um not by just, but I think the quality of the beer and the innovation around why our liquid was different, but that like we weren't just trying to manufacture something. We were a part of the community. Um, we show up. We we run in the races where we serve beer. We I attribute myself as part of that community, and I think as we move forward, that 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 same mentality continues as we've moved from different sports and different types of events it's actually been the team that we've grown and expanded to that has taught us and helped us move into to new arenas. You know, it wasn't until we hired a surfer. And so we decided, you know, we finally have someone who authentically can sort of walk the walk and talk the talk and, and talk to us a little bit about what this community feels like and looks like and, and wants before we sort of moved into, into um, providing, you know, um, a program around the surfing community um, and we wouldn't do that unless we sort of knew what we were doing and that we belong there um, very authentically. And um, and on top of that, I think not just just sort of being there to be there and not just drop something off and 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 expect the best, but actually being there and cutting teeth with the community is what's important. Number one. And I think number two is we, you know, I came onto the scene because I didn't think I think the, I thought the liquid and, and, and the beer that we could make could be better and and could um, um, have all these attributes that a healthy and active person wanted and were looking for without settling on, on taste. And lo and behold, with the right brewing technology and the right food science technology, you can do that. 
And so there's this, there's this level of just like, of, of, um, stubbornness and unwillingness to take anything less than the best that I think this team has. And it's propelled us to keep pushing into other innovations. And beer for me is just the beginning. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I think we have many facets in our lives and many occasions where we want to have a certain snack or a certain beverage. And I don't want to pigeonhole our community as beer drinkers. I think that we're very fluid and um, our level of alcohol, our flavor combinations, um, even just sort of the moments and experiences that I'm trying to create call for something a bit different. Different. Um, so what we put into the beer, um, the category, how we deliver this beer, when and where and how, that's all stuff that I keep trying and I will, will we will always continue to push um, um, and, and really turn heads and again, change, I think, kind of a static old school way of thinking about craft beer. Um, when I feel like it really, um, it never really embraced or maybe it overlooked wide swaths of a community that maybe are, are least suspecting, but certainly deserving of, of great quality liquid and beverage. So um, I, I ramble, I digress, but that's all to say that I think innovation is also- Rambling key. is encouraged here, Caitlin. Oh, yes, that's I mean, true. That's is true. the name of the show. <laughs> well, I'm doing it for you. I'm, I'm definitely uh, rambling at this point. So hopefully I'm on brand here. Um, but um, innovation is definitely paramount. And we've listened, you know, um, I, I'm at races and I can, like the person I'm next to is like, why aren't you doing a non-alcoholic? If you were a true athletic brand, you'd be doing a non-alcoholic. I've heard that from day one. You know, best believe we are trying to develop and find that that perfect moment for the NA community. And we're never going to do anything just to put something out there. We're going to be cutting edge and we're going to deliver something that I think really, you know, um, really responds to that moment. And, and in a way that I think a runner's mind has. And so, again, I think um, being part of that community and cutting teeth is, is our is our uh, our advantage and our unfair advantage. and. I think that hopefully will propel us to continue to stay fresh and, and innovate and stay relevant to our community and our niche. Caitlin, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on the show. If Aww. people aren't, are, you know, if they're not already familiar with Sufferfest, where can they go to learn more? Uh, you can go to sufferfestbeer.com and check out all of our new flavors. We're now obviously with, with the current environment too. We've just opened up um, shipping and delivery to your door. We don't have all states open, but for now in California, you're definitely in luck and we'll be opening up more states. So I'm super excited to report that. But also follow along on the journey on Instagram at Sufferfest Beer. Um, we're putting up challenges. We're working with Strava a lot. We're doing cool giveaways. We have lots of good gear that a lot of our athletes recommend that we're always sending out information about. Um, so you can follow us there as well and get some more information about new brews in the area. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Much appreciated. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Now go check out Sufferfest Beer. I know so many of my West Coast friends, actually California is the state that has the most rambling runner listenership or listens, downloads, whatever, uh, in the United States. So a number of you I've seen drink Sufferfest beer all the time. I see it all the time on Instagram. Uh, and I, you know, if you, if you have a chance, 
Go check it out. As you've heard today, Caitlin is a fascinating person. And that's one of the things that I like to do is patron the companies that I know that are tied either to my values or the things that I like to do, or they're just within the community and helping individuals within the community that I choose to be in. And Sufferfest certainly does that. Another company that does that is Prevenex. Prevenex sponsors every single episode of the Rambling Runner podcast. And I love them for that, but even more so, I love them for the great products they put out. I take five Prevenix supplements every single day. Today, you heard me talk about the multivitamin. That's a go-to for me, and I think it will be for you as well. So go to Prevenix.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your order today. I got some exciting news coming out in two weeks. Two weeks beginning of August. Some exciting news for you. If you're listening all the way to the end of this episode, it's because you are a diehard listener of the Rambling Runner podcast. I got some exciting news coming out for you. If you want some more exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash Rambling Runner or just go to my website, Rambling Runner. I'm sorry, the Rambling Runner.com and then go to the Patreon button at the bottom over there. We've an episode every two weeks from a past guest, some of our most popular guests, doing follow-up episodes with them. These are fascinating conversations. We had Melissa Milani two weeks ago. This week, episode with Sarah Canny from Rise Run Retreat. She is just a powerhouse, a one of the best snowshoers in the world, amazing runner, and someone who has created and cultivated an unbelievable community of athletes. So without, I guess I have no more else to say. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.